The National Women's Soccer League kicks off March 16th on ION. Out in front to Williams. It's a new Saturday night destination featuring the best players in the world. Takes a shot, she scores! See the full schedule and find where to watch at IONNWSL.com. Carson Price for Wednesday, September 20th, 2023, coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. If you're heading to a game, make a staycation out of it. Book your stay at the Wall Center. Call the hotel 604-331-1000 or reservations at wallcenter.com. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price, Grace Asset and Switches, conducting things, the show presentation of Applewood Auto Group, where they're celebrating 25 years with Applewood's 25th anniversary sale. Great deals on new Nissan Leafs and Rogues. The Infinity QX50 and QX60 lease from 3.99%. And of course, no charge maintenance packages with purchase, plus a chance to win $25,000. See dealer for details because Blake Price. It is all good at Applewood. Bodog poll question today. We're asking you, is Tanner Pearson and a third-round pick for Casey DeSmith a good trade for the Vancouver Canucks? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakaritson Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source. Free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Bodog, line of the day for me. The Lions have slipped to a 6.5-point favorite Friday in Edmonton. The Elks have won four of their last five. But BC coming off that emotional and huge comeback victory. I think I'm going to take the Leos. They've owned Edmonton over the last two years on your Bodog line of the day. So I voted yes on the poll question. Now, look, let's just go through the negatives here, and then we'll look at the positive side of things. It is disappointing that for a second consecutive preseason, the Vancouver Canucks find themselves trading out draft picks to get off bad contracts, get cap-compliant and fix their depth. As you remember, last year they had to pay a second-round pick to get rid of Jason Dickinson, added Riley Stillman. Stillman didn't really work out for them. This is a similar trade in that regard. So this is a club that continues to surrender future assets for hope bets to help the present, and I think that is problematic in the big picture. I hear a lot of people saying, oh, it's a third-round pick a couple of years from now. we got plenty of time to replace it, which I would believe if they ever replaced picks, but they just don't yeah. do that. Plus, it, you know, if things don't go well this year, it's not just about replacing picks. It's about amassing picks and having extra picks in future drafts. So well, that's the downside here. You're also getting DeSmith coming off a bad year. And the Montreal Canadiens seem to have no use for him because almost immediately after he was acquired in that Pittsburgh trade with Montreal serving as the third party between San Jose and the Penguins on the Carlson deal, he was available. But here are the positives. You may very well have a very good NHL backup goaltender. DeSmith had been that until last year. His decent, his numbers are decent even for his career, even including last year. Yeah. Remember, the save percentage league wide went went down considerably last year. Now, people that watched him know that he wasn't great last year, but 
But really, last year was the anomaly when you look at his AHL and NHL numbers. If he isn't that pure number two, at the very least, you have another NHL-experienced goaltender that you can rely on. Let's say, you know, there's a scenario where Archer Siloff just looks so great, you've got to get him time. Well, hey, fair enough. But as we know, you want to get Siloff a lot of games in Abbotsford. So DeSmith enters the equation alongside Martin and Siloff's. And as a 32-year-old goalie, I don't suspect he's getting claimed on waivers, and almost the entirety of his contract is variable. He'd be a yeah. few hundred grand above. Well, and, and I would think that he would make the team under any scenario. Oh, he's made to start, Sil- yes. yes to start, because yes. Siloff's uh, is waiver exempt. But if things go south for DeSmith, as we heard, right. they've got eight goalies coming to camp? Something like that, <laughs> Oh, my yeah. God. Just on his workload last year, you got to remember, too, Jari was injured, and he well, was punching a bit of above his weight class. So Therein lies the issue, Grady. The two years where he's had to play more than a pure backup, it looks like those have been the years where he has well, struggled. Well, yes and no. 2018-2019 is the second highest workload. 36 starts, uh, 36 games there. 15-11-5 mm-hmm. and five of the 9-16 save percentage. That's yeah. not bad. No. Yeah, no, but just some guys just can't. Yeah. They mm-hmm. crumble, and then we saw that with Spencer Martin last right. year. Right, for sure. This trade gets them cap compliant, and they were kind of backed into a corner. Like, there could have been worse scenarios than this one, where you actually get a player who can help you to get to that cap compliance. You create further room and opportunity for Vasily Podkolzin and Nils Hoaglander on the wing. And you remove a guy who had a chance to be a malcontent on your club, because let's face it, the relationship had been ruined between the Vancouver Canucks and Tanner Pearson with everything that went on last year with, and I'm sure his side would say, echoing Quinn Hughes, the hand injury was not handled properly. Mm -hmm. He would have also served as a reminder to Vancouver Canucks players of how they screwed that up last year. And as Patrick Alvin admitted today, he could not guarantee him ice time. There was a very good chance he was going to be demoted. A, because he has missed so much time. B, to get the Canucks into cap compliance. C, so many damn wingers. And, and like, mm-hmm. you know, he's not going to be hitting the ground running into his old self. Mm-hmm. Even his old self, I think, might have had a tough time winning a roster spot at this point. Yeah, because it had been several years yeah, since yeah. Tanner Pearson was a 20-goal, 40-point. That's right. He's guy. And now a vintage Tanner Pearson, I think he's actually exactly what this team needs. A little bit of stiffness on the wing and that right. sort of thing. But the What are the chances at age thirty one that, that he's gonna be that guy? Injury. I mean, right. maybe he's that guy in January, but again, how they make it to that point, it's complicated. So this kind of did need to happen, or something like this needed to happen. And this was the easiest way to make it work with the third round pick uh, being used to pay the uh, the pipe. And you were telling me one of the two doctors that attended that uh, backfiring press conference last year with Jim Rutherford is no longer. Thomas Rance's piece uh, chronically in a conversation with Patrick Alvin confirmed that the Dr. Harry Cease or S E S E is how it's spelt um, is no longer affiliated with the Vancouver Canucks. So that part, that chapter, officially over. Now, the big question, is this a playoff team? And Jim Rutherford was back speaking publicly today for the first time since the hiring of Rick Tockett. You'll remember he uh, vowed to zip it there for a while. But there were parts of Rutherford today where he got back to that straight talk express guy that was endearing. 
to Canucks management before he started sewering his own head coach. Mm-hmm. Or Canucks fans, I should say, before he started sewering his head coach to anybody who will listen. Here's Rutherford succinctly, bluntly, on whether they can be a playoff team. To be very to the point, the changes that we made, we have a playoff team if everything goes right. Okay, your goalie has to be good. Your specialty teams have to be good. You can't get into a lot of injuries. Okay? No, I'm not saying if one of those things go wrong, we can't still make it because we have some impact players that can win games by themselves. Okay? But we want to get to a point that we, that we have enough in our lineup that you can have a few things go wrong on a regular basis and overcome that. But to be frank with you, that that's my opinion. It may not be these guys' opinion, but that's that's how I feel about the team we have right now. And I think that's good honesty on Rutherford. I think virtually every objective person that I have spoken to are the Vancouver Canucks the playoff team this year. Look at it and go, they have enough star power that if they all stay healthy and they make the necessary improvements defensively and on specialty teams, and let's face it, it's penalty kill when we talk about special teams, then yes, they've got a fighting chance in the West. But if any of those things are lacking, then I think it is very difficult to look at the Vancouver Canucks and say that's one of the best eight teams in the Western Conference. Yeah, probably not. I mean, some some might argue that it flirts with seven or eight. Some might argue that, but as I, I think Jim has couched this prediction well, that things need to go well, they need to stay relatively healthy, yep. and they probably need the stars to plateau or get better, and they need some unexpected players to get better as well. Mm-hmm. As he said, we're not at the point where if a few things go wrong, that they can overcome. Yeah. yeah. They also need a team like the Winnipeg Jets to take a step back with all the uncertainty there, and possibly banking on the Seattle Kraken not following up their 100-point season. Well, Winnipeg and Calgary are the two interesting ones because they're the teams that are hanging on to really good players in the final years of their contract. So if things do not progress early in the season for either of those two clubs, then you're looking about sweepstakes on Hellebuck, on Shifley, on Lindholm, on Hannafin, on the guys that make those two clubs go. Mm -hmm. And so that may open a channel for the Canucks. And, of course, it's going to also require Vancouver to have a much better first half than they've had in each of the last couple of years. And can the LA Kings' goaltending of Cam Talbot and Phoenix Copley hold up? I think they're probably going to get one of those stud starters that Uh, are on the market. At uh, some point, they have to, right? And they have the talent to pull the trades off. I was going to say, skater 1 through 18, I think LA is good enough that they can probably compensate for mediocre goaltending. If the goaltending falls off the table in LA, you're right, Grady. That's a potential other route for them, uh, as is the aforementioned Seattle Kraken. And maybe to a team like, you know, St. Louis pushes back up into well, the mix. That, that's the Even other Nashville with Saros. We talked about this when you were gone, Grady. We're all looking up and going, what teams can they pass? You look at that St. Louis team and tell me it couldn't leapfrog Vancouver because they finished below Vancouver last year in the standings. So I can absolutely see the Blues rearing back up and being a playoff team next year. So you've got to watch quite fairly. 
each side of the coin there. Now, other matters with the Vancouver Canucks. We heard today from Patrick Alvin that Tucker Pullman is just not going to play this year. There was a release about Tucker Pullman. Today. Which would have been everybody's guess, but it's it, it just kind of hits heavy. Um, I mean, you know, a lot of players, you know, hit LTIR late in their career, and it's 50-50 as to whether or not they would have wanted to continue anyway. They were nearing the end. You know, I do feel really bad for Tucker Pullman because when he signed that deal with the Vancouver Canucks, he's in his later thirty or later 20s. But he's still in his 20s. This is a guy who wanted to play NHL hockey, and it appears that that's not going to happen for the rest of his career. Like It mm-hmm. is most likely over. He does officially have next year on the deal as well, but at this, play, at this point, the way that that release came off, and there was a question and uh, answer during the media conference as well on this, I mean, they're just hoping this guy can lead uh, a, a peaceful life within his own head there. It mm-hmm. just sounds like it's... Uh, it's a really sad situation for Tucker Pool. And to, uh, uh, to a degree now, he becomes the new Michael Furland, who right. sits there and appears on the Vancouver Canucks team page. But you know, there is no possibility that he will be coming back and resuming his career, at least not this year. The other bit of news today, and this is via Drance and The Athletic, they have no intention of moving Tyler Myers. We are five days, of course, past his big bonus being paid. And as we um, as we discussed, Blake, through much of the summer, if you want to be a playoff team and you're trading Tyler Myers, then you probably need to get a right shot defenseman yeah. back. It's a difficult time of year to make a trade, notwithstanding yesterday's move with Pearson and DeSmith. Myers does have some trade protection. And so putting all of that together and making a Tyler Myers move does not seem to be in their plans right now. I do find it a little amusing, though, because in the press conference today, Jim Rutherford asked about the cap situation and why it's taken so long. He explained we'll be out of some contracts we'd prefer not to have after this season, which really, by process of elimination, deduction, leads you to Tyler Myers and maybe Anthony Beauvillier, although they acquired him in a trade. Yeah, so that's I, the lingering Benning contract that I think he's referencing. Beauvillier was a necessary piece of the trade from the Islander standpoint. I I don't think the uh, the Canucks hate him. I'm just saying... I, I think Alvin loved him yeah. because he kept talking about how great he was against the Penguins in those uh, playoff series with the Islanders. Well, I think they had to find a piece that was palatable for them, and he certainly is. That. I don't think they're married to that piece, though. No, no, no. Um, and I, I think the original comment has to be taken with a grain of salt as well. Uh, we have no intention of trading him. I think he means in the immediate... In the immediate. I think all bets are off as of December 1. I think yeah. all bets are off certainly towards the trade deadline. Um, depending on the Canucks situation, we have to see. Now, I am drawn all the way back to the Canucks signing of Tyler Myers. Way back in the day. Our good friend Craig J. Button. I don't know if he, if he said it once. He said it a handful of times to us. It's He's a third-pair defenseman. That's what he said back then. So who knows, with, with the lack of marquee matchups, lower ice time, maybe we learn to love Tyler Myers this year. Less is more. Maybe we see him in, in his rightful place. He's appropriately slotted. Yes. Yeah. 
You know? And really, guys, two years ago, he wasn't that bad. No. Two years ago, when he really made a concerted effort to be more of a defensive defenseman, because here's the thing you're Tyler Myers. You're six foot seven, 200 and whatever pounds. You can skate like that and handle the puck. Of course, you're going to want to explore offense. Of course, you're going to want to rush up ice, score goals, be a part of the offense. But if he's I mean, a, a rookie of the year guy, so two years ago, I think he showed that he understood he needs to change his game and be more of a defensive stalwart, and use that big body and long reach and everything that allows him to affect space. It was a poor year last year. It was a totally dysfunctional team. I could see Myers getting back to being the guy he was two years ago. And that's an asset for the Vancouver Canucks. It's not a big asset. It's not a huge asset. It's not a $6 million asset. But it's a worthwhile NHL player. Yeah, he, he has value. He still may be overpaid a little bit. But also, too, he's away from OEL. You know, how much of their of his performance last year was tied to him? Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He's he's very overpaid. Let's be clear. Yeah, um, no doubt yeah, on, yeah, yeah, on the cap on the cap on the cap hit. But that doesn't yes. mean he doesn't have value still. Yeah. If he's less is more yeah. bottom pair. Camp gets going tomorrow in Victoria. J Pat is going to attend for us. We'll have coverage, and we're also going to hear more from Alvin, from Rutherford, and from Rick Tockett later in the show today. Now. BC Lions, as noted, prepping for the game in Edmonton on Friday. And they just look really healthy. Dominic Rhymes full practice hey. yesterday, so it looks like their fine receiver looking to rejoin. They almost have a too many good receivers problem. Just throw it up. Somebody will catch it. Side. Somebody will catch it. Yesterday, the Lions announced their plans for the third commemoration of Orange Shirt Day. And that's the September 29th game against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The first 10,000 fans through the gates are going to receive free orange shirts with translations of the word mountain lion in the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh languages. With sport is ceremony is serving as the theme. The club is going to showcase multiple indigenous figures. Halftime features are performance from the Canadian duo The Halutsi Nation with DJ Oshau. Uh, doing pregame. So look forward to that. The big one, September 29th here against the Riders. Before that, the Lions can clinch a playoff spot here with a win against Edmonton or with the Calgary defeat. We know they're going to the dance. We think they're hosting a playoff game after the big win, comeback win against Ottawa, coupled with the Saskatchewan loss. The question, can they get to that number one seed, host the West Division final? over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Big one for the Whitecaps tonight. I know you're calling it on radio. Yeah, yeah, it should be interesting. They've got a couple of omissions from the Dynamo lineup. Um, They're in Houston. Yeah. It's a direct competitor in the MLS West. Escobar and Karaskia are out for them on yellow card accumulation. So there's uh, here's the funny thing. They're red hot too. Six games without a loss are Dynamo. And the Caps, we know they're on a, on a tear as well. It's almost to the point, both of these streaks are almost to the point where you expect them to end. Um, you'd have to go back to 2012 for the Dynamo to go on wow. an unbeaten streak Boy, like this. I, I, if, so, the, if the Caps can get three points tonight, wow. Holy I hell. Mean, I mean, no, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Like it would be. Like you're elated with a draw here tonight. Absolutely. A draw keeps you out of Houston and, and defends the points you, from them. Yeah. Defends the points from them, which is huge. So a draw is a win, but a win is crazy. Oh, my God. A win is. <laughs> yeah. 
you're almost playing with total house money at that point, going to Salt Lake City on a weekend and then Colorado next week. Yep. Baseball. Jays, Mariners, Rangers, they all win. Astros lose. The M's and Rangers are now a half game behind Houston for the ALS, AL West lead, and they have a game in hand. So this is turning into be quite a story in the ALS, AL West where you have a three-team derby coming down the stretch here. Seattle finishes in Oakland today. Then they go at Texas before hosting Houston and Texas to end the year. Texas finishes with Boston today before hosting Seattle and then the L.A. Angels. And then Houston finishes with Baltimore today, hosts Kansas City, and that's where the Astros may get a leg up on this before going at Seattle and Houston is the team in the American League that closes with interleague play at Arizona, who could well be fighting for an NL wildcard spot themselves. themselves. Yeah. Well, and and the the wildcard spot. So you want to win the AOS because you, you get, get a buy. And you could still right now that the the wildcard spot to the AOS loser, if you will. Um, he's still a plump spot because you face the the central winner. Mm-hmm. It's just if the Jays scuffle a little bit and allow you to rise up, then you got to play Tampa. <laughs> well, as as we have talked about, being the uh, being the last wild card is probably an easier road than having to go to Tampa, who have the best home record in baseball, and by several games, Blake, they're fifty one and twenty five at mm. home. Yeah, and there's no way you they're, can tank because you can't tank for that third wild third wild card no, spot because, because you, you might play exactly. So it's a really interesting dynamic yeah. between the four clubs: Houston, Texas, Seattle, and Toronto. In the last days here of the Major League Baseball season, this is what they wanted. This Absol- is, this is absolutely, what they with wanted. three playoff spots here on the line, and somebody going to miss out. Happy hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing, Neighborhood Brewing, Workshop Spirits, and. Very excited to announce the release of Yellow Dog's very first mix pack, Box of Tricks. Choose between the classic Play Dead IPA, the award-winning Rough West Coast IPA, and two brand new beers, Growl Extra Pale Ale and Tug of War New Zealand IPA, hitting the shelves on Tuesday, November 7th. And at the end of a busy workday, treat yourself to a Yellow Dog neighborhood or workshop spirit. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious. Probably not. But I do know it was another WTF moment. My question of ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect, and I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the Bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here. Right now. The great news is that the best color analyst in hockey is coming to Canucks games. The interesting part is how Ray Ferraro will treat the team if it falls flat again. As we know, Ferraro coined the phrase, no plan plan, during the Jim Benning era, and was one of the most trusted voices slash critics on how the Canucks tried to build their team. Will that continue now that he's on the home broadcast, particularly since Rogers executives haven't shown the same stomach as Bell executives when it comes to critiquing their quote-unquote partner. 
Personally, I'm delighted that Ferraro will be calling a still undetermined number of regional games. Always learn something with Ray breaking down the action, and his enthusiasm for the sport shines through each and every time. And let's face it, the Canucks needed to hit a home run here because John Cheech Garrett was so beloved and was so unfairly pushed out by the club at the end of last year. In Ferraro and Dave Tomlinson, a North Van guy making his return to the Jim, Bro- Jim Robson broadcast gondola, Sportsnet has two superb analysts and have rescued this file from the fire. But it is going to be interesting hearing Ferraro on a regional telecast and as a team-approved announcer, given his wife, Canucks AGM Cami Granato, is part of the management group making these big decisions. Not long ago, that would have been considered a conflict of interest by editorial managers and the public alike. May again, if viewers deem Ferraro too soft on a losing outfit. After a decade of decline, so many around the club are desperate for a competitive season to change the narrative of an organization so lost it just keeps repeating the same mistakes, inspiring no confidence that they will ever get it right. Perhaps none more so than Ferraro. That's welcome at for today. We invite your feedback. Feedback channels as follows on email live at securesomeprice.com. You can text 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox on Twitter at Matt Securis, at Price, and the welcome at a presentation of Great Clips, the world's largest hair salon brand with 37 salons in Vancouver and the Lower Mainland. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, They've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Some price from All Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Head to the Richmond Auto Mall right now and help them celebrate their 25th anniversary. How about that? Maybe take a car for a test drive. What's so so difficult in that? You get to enjoy the finest climbs of, say, the Applewood Mitsubishi Outlander. And maybe you'll win $25,000 if you just take it for a test drive. It's all part of the festivities. Head to the Richmond Auto Mall and find out why it's all good. At Applewood. Well, dog poll question was Tanner Pearson and a third round pick for Casey DeSmith, a good trade for the Vancouver Canucks. Yes or no? You can vote at Sikarson Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source. Free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Bodog line of the day. Good as the 49ers have looked through two games. I'm still taking points early in the season while we figure out bad from good from great teams. I'm going to bet the Giants found something in that second half against Arizona and stay reasonably close on Thursday night football. NYG plus 10 on your Bodog line of the day. Well, as mentioned, Jim Rutherford, president of hockey operations, general manager Patrick Alvin, head coach Rick Tockett all met the media in advance of training camp in Victoria. And we're peppered with a lot of questions. We're going to play a few clips for you here. Rutherford was asked about, well, cap management and effectively what has taken so long to get the cap in order nearly two years it'll be two years in december into his tenure here's what he had to say take a listen the, re- the reason it's difficult is there's a flat cap okay 
and we're not the only team dealing with it. And moves that were made prior to us coming here, I, I don't even disagree with them. You know, I mean, people were making moves on teams thinking the cap would keep going up. And if the cap kept going up, we're not sitting having this conversation. And so it's been a flat cap since COVID. Um, that's going to change next year. And also we're going to be at the point where we're, we're out of some contracts that we would prefer not to have. So, uh, so we'd hope to do it quicker. We hope to do everything quicker. We all want to win immediately. But uh, we have uh, we've moved as quick as we can. Whatever opportunities are there, we've taken. And we'd like to move quicker, but we haven't. So in one breath there, he's kind of sewering Benning with the aforementioned contracts we'd prefer not to have. And the contracts that were signed before we got here. Yeah. Comment. But he caught but, himself. But, but he also says he didn't necessarily disagree with the moves yeah. because he was in a managerial chair at one point heading into the pandemic. And um, he too thought the cap was going up. Right. Yeah. But ultimately. And, and in fact, if you talk to sports business reporters, that is one of the bigger stories. The NHL has been much slower to bounce back than other leagues. For sure. Financially. And that's because the NHL does tend to have some really weak sister franchises that just drain overall hockey-related revenue. $8.7 million from Biosteel would come in handy right about now for the league. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but this is also why you don't spend money that you don't know that you have. And it's why you don't get out ahead of the salary cap. It's why you don't keep banging your head against the salary cap ceiling because you don't know what lies ahead. Although this is the year where I do think you can do that because I think we all now know that the cap is going up next year. The question will be, will it be as little as like two, three million? Will it be as much as five, six million? Right. You still have to do it within reason because you still don't know that number. But what it does mean is that you can sign Elias Pettersson to a big money deal right now, knowing full well that you can accommodate him next year because of the increase in the cap and because of the contracts you have coming off the books. Which and, is Tyler Myers, essentially. And Beauvillier. Yeah. And RJF Patterson asked Patrick Alvine about the situation with Elias Patterson and whether or not there's a possibility of a deal getting done here at some point in season. Take a listen. Well, first, he's, a, he's an RFA, so we have another two years. So that's where there is no rush uh, versus if he was a UFA. Um, and again, uh, the relationship uh, myself and Jim have with his camp, uh, we, we talk. Uh, we talk about a lot of things, but uh, in, at this point, we feel that uh, we'll, we'll settle in here. And uh, Elias really wanted to emphasize and focus on having a good summer. And he came in here um, 10 days ago, and uh, I believe that he's in really good shape and uh, excited where we are. Uh, the moves we made this summer, the direction the team and the organization is heading, and uh, how we've got to play. So uh, at some point, I'm definitely sure we, we pick it up here again. But uh, as I said, I have a, a, a good relationship with Elias and his agent, and I feel good about the situation. We should make well, abundant, uh, make it abundantly clear. He says two years because the qualifying offer year adds right. the year. So it's this coming year and the year after via the qualifying offer. But, but that's offer. club control, and it's a little bit misleading because you do 
need his name on a contract before next season starts. But a qualifying offer is as good as his name. I mean, it, it, he doesn't. There's no new contract that triggers the contract, right? So, well, that triggers arbitration. If Elias, so if, if he so chooses, right. if he just so, a different so, mechanism, yes. Yeah. So, and I almost don't even want to go down this road because this is not a road that a lot of teams go down with players of this stature. No, no we're just going worst case scenario. You know, you know, there's a lot of teams that don't want to even go to arbitration with fourth liners, let alone right. with superstars. Yes, but yes, yeah, so they qualify Elias. He's not likely to accept it. Like, I mean, I think we understand that, right? Depends on his season. If it's an 80-point season, he might not want to tempt it. If it's another 100-point oh, season, boy. my goodness. Boy, I mean, I think he would have to have a dreadful year to consider accepting a qualifying offer. And so he rejects it, which means at that point, you're in the arbitration process, which probably neither side wants to be in. Matt, his qualifying I, offer is 8-9. Mm-hmm. If he's if it's, if it's an 80-point year, I, I don't know that he tends No, but the alternative is 60, 70, 80, maybe even 100-plus million dollars on an extension. Yeah, but the, the the qualifying offer doesn't have to consider that, or the no. arbitrator doesn't need to consider that. No, I, under, I, yeah. I, I understand that, but you think he would go a second year going, no, I'm okay going year to year? I just don't see it. Well, no, he do you he'd say yes to a qualifying offer oh. to leverage what comes next, which is UFA. So a- second again. straight year where he would bet on himself and turn down the huge extension. Well, but then he's I got just, open market at the end of it, where yeah, where yeah, as yeah. as uh, was it the hockey news had him as fourteen million dollars on the open market. Yeah, Oof. I just I, I just don't see that. I, I mean, I think the contract. Resolution. All comes of that to is worst case scenario. In advance of next yes. year, one way or the yes, other. Yes, of course it does. Right. So, I don't even know why we wasted the time going down. <laughs> well, the, I mean that's the procedure. He it, references two years, so we had right. to flesh that out. One of the newsier parts today came from Jim Rutherford with regards to a practice facility. Take a listen. It's a priority for ownership. You know. Uh, they talk to me about it, not every day, but fairly regular basis, that it's a very important. And uh, as everybody knows that lives here, lived here a lot longer than me, there's not a lot of land around and it certainly doesn't come free. So we're going to have to get creative, and that's what we're trying to do. And my hope is that this is the practice rink can be in place for the start of the next off season. That would be a heck of a... Uh, that's not a build, Matt. That's taking over something that's existing. You, you think so? Yeah. You're, not You're thinking you can get a build done in six, seven months? Permits? Build? No. No. No chance. Okay. All right. So to me... I mean, guys, we don't know. They may be down the line somewhere. Like That Quadrelli report about SFU. Is, but still, there's no arena there. You got to get permits, break ground, all that, and get mm-hmm. it ready to go? In the rainy season, too. Sort all the funding, who's paying for what. Yeah, well, and that's what's taken years. And look what Calgary, right? But again, push is coming out. to shove here, guys. So, no, I, 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 like you, think it's very, very unlikely that that's a new facility. Uh, but we don't know what they know on that. 
Could be refurbishing something that's existing. Could be merely building uh, club facilities attached to, like I'm thinking UBC, all you have to do now is build a club facility adjacent to the rink, and there's your practice facility. So maybe something like that. Well, twice during the presser, he talked about his hope being it being that it's in place for next season. Yeah. So I, I do wonder whether there's another shoe that's going to be dropping on that at some point soon. Right. Like you're right. An announcement on a finalization on that has to be within the next couple of months for that <laughs> timeline to hold. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You would think that. Coach Talkett, and as we discussed in the opening block, one of the benefits of this Tanner Pearson trade is it does open up channels for Vasily Putkolson and Nils Hoaglander to make this team and be in the opening night lineup. We shall see. But Talkett was asked about the two young wingers, and here's what he had to say. Well, they already, they've already started the right direction the way they've uh, treated this summer, you know, uh, the way they've trained already. Uh, you know, they're, they're looking great already. Um, they got to get an opportunity. You know, I want to get them a, an opportunity in camp to, 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 for them even to relax and go out there. But, yeah, anytime you get young guys in your lineup, it, it really pushes the envelope, and it, it brings a lot of energy to your team. All the good teams I've been on, yeah, you, you you have good veteran players, but those younger guys push the pace, um, and those that's what I'm looking for those guys to do is pu- push that energy and even in practice every day. Good that they uh, had uh, great summers, big summers. Yeah, it sounds like they did. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're almost out of summer here. We're a day or two away from being out of summer, so. He he wouldn't want to let summer pass without marking the end of summer. Speaking of having the great summer, he wanted to make it abundantly clear: you can't run these guys for three days. I, I was going to get to that. In in fact, it almost sounded like a Travis Green uh, knock. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, a little I, bit. I mean, they're very close. Yeah. So I'm, I, I can't it. imagine it was no. meant personally. No, I but they think. may just be philosophically different in terms of. And Frankie Corrado will talk to he about addresses it too today. Greener's uh, yeah. skate. Uh, on other matters, Kuzmenko, he's lost weight and changed his diet. Those were two things that Rick Tockett asked him to do in this offseason, his big summer. A good joke there from Coach saying if he scores 60, I think we're all going to Bali. <laughs> he also ripped Kuzmenko about the cost of taking that that whole team to Bali that he did. Uh, Alvin saying at this moment, no PTOs. A little strange. They're free looks. He said, you know, we wanted to give young players a look. You have to believe. And while there's part of me that wonders whether the Danny DeKaiser business last year soured guys on PTOs with the Canucks because of where you're having to skate and travel every day. And sadly, because of building bookings and ongoing construction at Rogers Arena, they allowed that they're going to be at UBC a lot once mm-hmm. they come back from training camp in Victoria. We'll see at the end of preseason in camp whether Rutherford has a scathing indictment of the way it went down again for a second year in a row. I can't imagine he will because he's got his coach in place, and they spoke a little bit about alignment, and we've talked about that now, well, really since Talkett was hired. Finally, this club, from ownership to president to GM to head coach, are on the same page. Didn't need to take this long, but did. Uh, Talkett talking about how he'll do some experimenting with line combinations at camp and in preseason. 
He did talk about duos. He's a Scotty Bowman disciple in terms of, you know, keep duos together and then try a third guy with them. But it cautioned, it, it cautioned against reading into yeah. what he's doing, though. Both, that, both yeah. with the forward combinations and the defense yeah. pairings. So we'll see how that shakes out. And then there's Thatcher Demko, and this is, of course, in light of the Casey DeSmith acquisition. And there was part of me that thought we might hear... We've got a good, solid NHL backup now who's going to be able to play up, you know, a third of the games or thereabouts, and we're going to preserve Thatcher and this, that, and the other thing, and workload these days for goaltender and his injury history, and, you know, take a look at how goalies who have to make more than 60 starts perform in the play. We didn't hear much of that, Blake. In fact, we heard that Demko was going to play, quote, a lion's share, according to Talkit. I thought we would get more of a full-throated Casey DeSmith endorsement here, talking about how that really fills a need for a legitimate backup goaltender and not what they were looking at where you're hoping Arthur Silovs carries through yeah. with his world championship performance and you're hoping Spencer Martin bounces I think he wants back. to reduce the pressure on all these potential backups because we've seen that in and of itself melt. Mm-hmm. Some backups in the past, and and let's be realistic. Until you've discovered that one of these backup goaltenders is in a groove and is ready to carry some mail, your safest bet is that's your Demko. That's the guy that's going to get you the wins. Yep. Um, and until someone proves otherwise, it's going to have to be Thatcher. Mm-hmm. Lastly, Rutherford was asked about taking training camp around the province. Apparently, the Canucks are the only team now that travels for training camp. And he said, we review it every year. But he did talk about how the Canucks are a provincial team, and it's good to get out to the the lesser populated areas than the lower mainland so that those fans across British Columbia can touch the club, which I think is very good marketing, which I think is very good um, from a community standpoint yeah. from Rutherford. I hope that but he did. did say, look, the Abbotsford facility could work for us. Next year, everything will be done at Rogers Arena. That could work for us. I, I, and of course, they think a practice facility is going to be ready for next offseason. Right. So I do wonder whether we're going to see the Vancouver Canucks in Vancouver for training camps going forward. Maybe, maybe that it's was one, my read into yeah, it. Yeah, maybe it's one-on-one off or something like that over uh, the next few years. But yeah, without a practice facility, they they might as well go around. Like yeah, you know, it's no skin off their nose. Serves a couple purposes. Once they've got a facility, players would probably like some home cooking every once in a while and just kind of get into the swing of things and not have to travel and pick up and, and yeah. find some. Well, especially for a team that travels as much or more yes. than any team in the league, anyways. Yeah. Carson Price from Wall Center presentation Apple at Auto Group. Hashtag the best and worst of Twitter.com. Brought to you by Jason Hominick of Jason.Mortgage. Jason recently got a Carson Price listener who was thinking of buying. Approved, locked in their rate for four months. Soon thereafter, rates increase. Jason saved the money. And hey, rates go down. You can always readjust. Jason will tend to the details. Find them at Jason.Mortgage. Now, this one stood out after my uh, weekend that was in, well, my, my commute that was to Penticton. Um, and I and I noticed that our certain Labrador retriever also liked this oh. on Twitter. 
at The Athletic. You say Kikuchi left Tuesday's Blue Jays game with cramps and says he thinks it may have been caused by only getting 11 hours of sleep last night instead of his usual 13 to 14. He typically goes to bed around 11 p.m. and wakes up at 1. And our own Labrador retriever in the other room <laughs> seemed to uh, sympathize with that. What, what time do you go to bed, Grady? Mm, about 11, 11.30. Oh. But some days you, you, you don't sleep well and you, you go to bed really late, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you get a daily nap in? No. No. Because then I won't sleep later on at night. Oh, okay. Are you jealous of the 13 to 14 hours, though? Mm, when I was younger, for sure, I would have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was a 11.30, 12 noon wake-up guy on the weekends all the time. There's one thing Grady can do. It's sleep. Kikuchi... Would have been a four-hour napper on the way to Penticton as well, I think. Absolutely. Why not? Frankly, I thought it was brilliant. If you didn't have to drive, you might as well get your rest in. <laughs> I could have used that rest Saturday, Sunday. I was wiped out yeah. from our weekend. At Big Head Hockey. All that golfing really adds up, eh? Jeez. Tough life you live. There was drinking, too. Well, it was the drinking. <laughs> oh, right. Yes. <laughs> Remember, we went to casino uh, at an ungodly hour. So that Mike Coghill and Rob Reese could win some money playing a game I have no... Texas something. Not Hold'em, by the way. No, not no. not Hold'em poker. Mm. That I know. Mm. Some sort of like Texas shootout or Texas jackpot. <laughs> I'd never heard of it in my life. I just played blackjack at Big Head Hockey. Everyone to ever put up five-plus shorthanded goals, 60 hits, 60 blocks in a season. Elias Pedersen... Jean-Gabriel Pajot, and Mike Richards. And Big Head Hockey is a great follow because they've had a ton of tweets like this in the past separating Elias Pettersson from all sorts of peers and putting him in hit, into historical context for the two-way season he had last year, particularly when it comes to all those shorthanded goals. It's an NHL-wide account, really, but they love them from Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson. They do, yeah. uh, especially Petey. Let me ask you this. Do you think the shorthanded goals they scored last year are repeatable? Like, do you think because they have Miller and Pedersen, such good offensive players, such good shooters, playing on that PK and... I suspect they'll play a little less on the PK. That's this, the thing. But, but who knows? Do you think we're looking at something that can continue to be a thing for the Vancouver Canucks, or do you see it as a one-off? It depends on the health, availability, and proficiency of guys like Bluger, uh, Mikheyev, and Suter. Mm-hmm. You know, if those guys start to take away the minutes— those guys may be able to kill off the penalty successfully, but I don't know that they're going to be as lethal scoring shorthanded goals. Although McCaff certainly could could add to that total as well. So, um, if I'm if I'm going to guess an over under from last year's total, I'm going to go under. Mm-hmm. It was 15 for the Canucks last year. Pretty crazy. Yep, second in the league behind Edmonton's 18. At NFL underscore Dove Kleiman report, a new poll reveals that only 6% of Jacksonville residents want to help pay a billion dollars for the Jaguar Stadium renovations. 47% of them don't want to do it, even if it means losing the Jags to a different city. 51% said the city should sell the stadium to the team and let them pay for it. 
and everybody is leaping to the conclusion this should crown them the London Jaguars. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's a rich enough guy. Yeah, the Khan family is not to be sympathized with. Mm. They're going to do okay. Mm -hmm. I covered Super Bowl Thirty Nine in Jacksonville. For those who don't know, Jacksonville may be the most sprawling city in America. It's not particularly big, but the actual city limits are enormous, and it's got an itty-bitty downtown. So everybody was staying like 30, 45 minutes. That's right. I remember out. that one. Yeah. Right. And let's face it. It's, I mean, it's Jacksonville. And so the commissioner's press conference which at the time was on the Friday, first question always went to the Associated Press and was asked to sort of a big, wide, broad, league-ranging league, league sort of question. Mm-hmm. The next question typically goes to someone from the host city, and the guy from the Jacksonville newspaper stood up and said, Commissioner, everybody has had such a great time, and Jacksonville has been such a great host. Could you see a Super Bowl coming back to Jacksonville soon? And the whole room groaned. (laughs) No offense, but we are hoping not. Yeah, like if we're going to go to Super Bowl in Florida, how about Miami? How about Tampa? At Pro Hockey Rumors. The Anaheim Ducks have a lot of work to do to sign the remaining RFAs. Did you know this, that Trevor Zekris and Jamie Drysdale are without contract on the eve of training camp? Really? There have typically been money issues in Anaheim. They have not always been a cap team. They have typically been more of a budget team. I wonder if this is GM Pat Verbeek, who's reasonably new in the post, being, uh, you know, Letting the star players know, hey, we're not going to be pushovers. They have the lowest projected cap hit in the league right now, Blake, at $66 million, just shy of 67 They got $16 million in cap space. The other question I'm wondering here, uh, particularly with Drysdale, because in Zegras's case, I think he's going to get a big deal. Are they just going to do like the Jake Sanderson deal in Ottawa for Drysdale? Just go, yeah, we've seen enough. You're great. We're going to give you... Eight million per, seven million per, and try to get him locked up long term. Well, you know me; I was always a Drysdale fan, and yet, oh, big time. And yet, at the at the NHL level, I, I wouldn't blame the Ducks in saying we just need to see a little bit more. I mean, he's played one season. No, effectively. I know he's uh, your favorite ten-two C. He's not even a true RFA. You know, last year's wiped out with that early injury, mm-hmm. so he's played. W- you know, he's played 113 games. Can you give him the Sanderson deal on the 113 Well, Sanderson games? played less than 113. Has he really? Oh, I think so. You think so? Did he not play just the one year last year, Sanderson? Did he have a cup of coffee the year before? No, last year was his rookie year. Yeah, yeah you're right. Wow. So Zegris, two straight 23-goal seasons, 61-65 points. But here's the other interesting thing about Zegris. And look... I don't think Anaheim would be this bold. But they've drafted Mason McTavish and Leo Carlson, two centers here. Is it possible that if it they can't get a deal done with Zegris, they would look, all right, let's make a deal. We feel good about the young center depth we have already. 
I mean, probably just getting a deal done and kicking Zegras to the wing, or or yeah. if Carlson isn't ready this year, that that sort of thing. But the, the, the couple interesting situations to watch here with a, a team that over the years has counted its pennies and has two young potential superstars looking for contracts, and, and this is not, needless to say, a good You don't want those guys missing time. They had Troy Terry as an RFA earlier this year, and they got him to a 7 times 7. Yep. So I think they're going to get this done. Oh, I think so too. And there was a couple of RFA, Kalen Addison, and then the guy in Phoenix, I think it's Janik. Yeah, uh, signed he just today. signed today. Yeah. yeah. So, Board of the Ducks have some defensemen coming too. Oh, right? man. Zellweger and Mintukov. Yeah. Um, well, remember they had top defensemen in all of the major junior yeah. leagues. They, yeah. they, their <laughs> prospects led all three major junior leagues in yeah. scoring last year for defensemen. Yeah. They're, yeah. Uh, they're going to be and, okay. And you know what's fascinating? Years ago, they had Theodore... Montour, right, Vatanen, right. Lintom, like Fowler. 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 They were Manson. set up. Mm. Yeah. And they botched their expansion draft. Yeah. I think it was BX's. Vatanen. No yeah. trade clause. Yeah. 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 yeah too. At the real J.J. Adams, I have no doubt that Brian White will eclipse that Brazilian guy as the all-time leading scorer in Vancouver Whitecaps history by the end of 2024. He's on 34. The record is 43. And it's a look back at sort of how Brian White's got there. And it's... Uh, it's been he started with a rather nothing sort of trade, and by the end of next season, Brian White could be the all-time leading Whitecaps scorer. Mm-hmm. Pretty crazy to think. He's like, been very good, and like not exactly a household name in this city. And and Blake, we started this year going, team looks a lot better. Think they got the goal t- uh, goalkeeper issue sorted, but can they be clinical at striker? He's been pretty good. It's been pretty good. Big one tonight. Yeah. At Eurosport, Roger Federer has arrived in Vancouver. Laver Cup this weekend at Rogers Arena. And I heard from a friend yesterday who attended an event with Federer. He said, not only did Roger spend an extra 20 or 30 minutes at the event making sure autographs were signed and photos were taken, he said, he was present with every single person that he met, was interested, and was absolutely fantastic with kids at the clinic. He's got this reputation as one of, if not the classiest athlete walking the planet, and he lived up to it last night in Vancouver. Well done, Roger Federer. And that's hashtags for today. Joined now by former Vancouver Canuck TSN hockey analyst, Mr. Frank Corrado. How are we doing, Frank? You guys doing? Excellent. A little closer Good. to the NHL regular season. We, we actually have a preseason game this weekend, Frank. Yeah. Um, so that gets going. And um, when we left last week, we were wondering what to do with Mike Babcock after you told us he's just not the most authentic guy and I'm not sure he much cares about his players or their families. What did you make of the fallout in Columbus with Coach Babcock resigning? Well, I thought it was a really strong move by the PA and Marty Walsh, first of all, being a, like a former NHL PA guy. Like, that's the way to assert yourself 
and even his statement, you know, like you're, you're going to treat our players with dignity and respect. Um, I thought they did a great job of getting involved, getting down their boots on the ground. And like Babcock being fired was the right move for everyone involved, literally everyone involved, whether it was the players. I don't know how you go into a season and, and want to play for that guy and take what he what he says to you seriously when he's doing that kind of funny business before the season even starts. And, and for Yarmo and, and, and JD, they're two very well-respected hockey guys. They missed, like they messed up. They messed up on that. I think they've, they've kind of admitted to it now. I don't know who they talked to that said Babcock was a good guy and gave him any kind of like positive um, review. I don't know anyone who would give him that kind of positive review. So they obviously didn't dig deep enough. Um, and, and saw what they wanted to see. Ultimately, um, he gets fired. And now Pascal Vincent, who by all accounts is like a very well-respected guy. Like I remember playing against his his teams in Manitoba and the minors, and they were always like hard teams to play against. And so he gets an opportunity. And like there's there's this young crop of coaches around the NHL that should be getting opportunities, and he's one of those guys. So it's the right move that Babcock got fired. I hope we never hear from the guy ever again because he likes to use his his microphone and his camera as a little bit of a uh, platform to spew all his garbage. But um, hopefully he goes back into hiding now. I went down the rabbit hole a little bit and and read some Johan Franzen quotes on him. And um, he said the same kind of things you did about being the person that he is and the genuineness of him um, and, and didn't have much positive things to say about the person. But he didn't say he's a good coach. Did do you even have that to say about him? Like, yeah. do you even think he's a good hockey coach? Here's here's the way I'll describe it. Mm. Okay, and I think a lot of people have echoed this sentiment as well. If you want to sit in a ten minute video session with Mike Babcock, you will learn a thing or two about hockey. He is very mm. knowledgeable. He knows. And that's the, the game. temptation, right? That's he the can, temptation for an organization. Exactly. He can break mm. down what's happening in a game better than most others. Where he. I would say on the bench in the game, he's somewhat stubborn. He His ego is so big where he'll start thinking, well, no, they need to adjust to what I'm doing. I'm not adjusting to you. I'm Mike Babcock and I run my team a certain way, right? So he can get, get in his own way on the bench mid-game. But I'm telling you, like as far as running a practice, a 30 to 40 minute practice and and having meetings off the ice, you will learn a thing or two about hockey. But I think Johan Frenzen also said he's the worst human I ever met in in, yes, in the history yes. of hockey. So you also have to keep that in mind as well. Yes, yes, absolutely. Frank, do, do you think, as you mentioned the PA, this was a strong move. This is a new leader. And this is a guy who served in a presidential administration down south. Like, do you see a dawning of a new day here with a PA that's a little bit more robust, a little bit more willing to take on Gary, and a, and, a, and a little bit more willing to uh, advocate on behalf of the players at the club level. Yeah, it certainly seems that way. Hey, like when, when you see someone take a situation like this, get down there, get boots on the ground, start interviewing guys like it's it's very assertive and it, it's putting the players first. And listen, I think there needs to be a good working relationship between the PA and the league. Ultimately, that's how things are going to get done. But you need someone who's a staunch advocate for, you know, the players and, and treating the players properly. And, and as uh, you know, as someone who's been through it, we get treated great. We don't have a lot of complaints that way. But ultimately, if you're going to have that role, there are certain things that are going to come up and you're going to be the one that needs to either put out the fire or escalate it to what it needs to, to ultimately be. And, and so for Marty Walsh, good for him. 
good for him for bringing a player with him in Ron Hainsey um, and getting the player's perspective on things and good for him for asserting himself and saying like, this is, this is kind of the standard now as far as treating our players and we're not going to be shy to speak up about it. And hey, the 700, 800 members, I mean, you're, you're going to have at least a handful of complaints every year. I mean, and it just stands to reason because of the numbers. So um, yeah, it's good to know that there's somebody there behind you. Last question. Do you think Babcock ever coaches in the NHL again? No, I, I don't think so. I, I don't know how you can come back from, from this one. I think it was well-documented from his Detroit days, from his Toronto days, you know, what kind of nonsense he was, he was up to. And I, I can't remember who was saying it. I think it was, it was Jeff O'Neill who was saying it. He was talking to an NHL coach recently. There was one thing that this guy couldn't do, and he did it before training camp even opened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know how you possibly, like, what – number chances that like it's we're way beyond second chances i had some dummy tell me that oh cancel culture always wins hey dude this ain't cancel culture like this is a guy who is genuinely a bad human being who has done bad stuff time and time again and he finally got what he deserved it's not cancel Mm -hmm. culture now this has come up and there's a much there's a big difference joel quenville just met with the league of month ago, I want to say, uh, in his bid to try to gain re-entry into the league. And it's a different story with him. It's a completely different set of circumstances. But do you think just by association of some sort, does does he get set back here? Does he get back in the league? Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I think that's factor. a great point. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think Babcock did him any favors. I really don't. Right. That's like, what I'm saying. It's yeah. a different situation, but I, I think you're going to get washed with the same brush here. Exactly. With the same brush. Like if he was under the microscope before coming back in, it's like now that's going to, if you're going to bring him back, it's, it's heavily ridiculed as well. I, I would say like from what I've heard, you know, about guys, like I, I know Joel Quinville has, you know, obviously dug his own grave as far as his NHL career and, and what's happened in the past. I never hear the thing worst person ever I've met in hockey like that you hear with Babcock. So maybe no, there is maybe there yeah. is a road back for Joel Quenville. Ultimately, I don't I don't know that. And that situation has you know taken on a a life of its own. But yeah, Babcock certainly didn't do him any favors. I, I would imagine teams probably look at that and say, man, if this goes south, I'm going to look just as bad or as bad as as Yarmo and JD do in in Columbus. All right, let's move on to happier topics. Top 50s, Frank Corrado. You have submitted your top 50 NHL players to TSN. Yeah. Where do you have the two Canucks? I got two Canucks. And actually, someone was saying, well, why don't you have three? So my two Canucks that I have in there are Elias Pettersson. Uh, I have him at 18. And I have Quinn Hughes at 24. Um, And for Pettersson, he's right in that range with guys like Tage Thompson, um, Alex Barkov. I believe I had... Crosby just a little ahead of him, Braden Point a little bit ahead. Um, I think 18 is a good number for him. Like, I don't think he's a top 10 player when you look at who who would be in there with, with you know, from McDavid, Dreisaitl, McKinnon, McCarr, Matthews. I, I think my number 10 might be um, Jason Robertson. Like, I, I, I feel like Jack Hughes is in the top 10. I think he's right there. He's on the cusp of it. Um, but, yeah, like, there's there's two Canucks. In, in my top 50 and in Quinn Hughes, like I just think he's going to be a point machine again this year, an assist machine, a point machine. I think for him being the captain, he's going to take on, not that he doesn't already have a lot of responsibility, but he's just going to take on a lot of res- responsibility, a lot of ownership with the team. Um, and I guess the only other Canuck that, that I was, I was contemplating having in my top 50 was JT Miller. 
And the thing I would say about that is we get to a certain point with these rankings where you're making a projection onto the season. You're not really, you're not really recapping what happened last year. You're projecting what's going to happen this year. Um, and you know, it's just an opinion. It's like, okay, like 90 point guy for sure. Could he drop down to an 80 point guy? Maybe I see players like Jesper Brad in New Jersey. I have him in my top 50. Um, I put Matty Beneers in my top 50. I'm just hedging that there's going to be some players, um, that are going to take a big step here and, and, and take a leap into a top 50 role. Did you have goalies in in the top fifty, or is that a separate category? No, so I do have goalies. I believe I have four goalies. Um, I can't remember the order. I know my top goalie is Ilya Sorokin of the Islanders. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll have Sorokin in there. I'll have UC Saros, Vasilevsky, and Shesterkin. At one point, I had Jake Ottinger in there. The problem you run into is I think Jake Ottinger is a great goalie. There's just too many good forwards that that I, I feel like I, I need to get into that top fifty. And even with defensemen, like I don't have, I, I didn't have Dougie Hamilton. I didn't have Josh Morrissey in my top 50. I would have liked to have them in there. The problem is when you look at the D-men I have, like I'm going to have Fox, Quinn Hughes, Haskinen, um, who else am I? Oh, so McCarr. Eric Carr. Yeah, McCarr, obviously. Hmm. Um, and then and then if, if you look at it, okay, like Eric Carlson just had a, over 100 points last year. How does he not get like? How do I not project that he has an eighty point year as a defenseman? And eighty points as a D man gets you on a top fifty list. So um, Charlie McAvoy is another one, right? So how am I how am I squeezing these guys in over Charlie McAvoy? So it's a little bit of like plug and play and projecting to see who who goes where. But I'm excited to see what what my colleagues have. I know there's going to be a lot of discussion about certain players like Connor Bedard. Should he be in? Should he not be in? Um, so yeah, it'll be exciting when the list finally does come out. The goalie—I didn't realize we were comparing lists here with your colleagues. Well, is this, it, it, then they aggregate them a, all into one list. Be a fun that That's what we, yeah. we yeah. don't. I, I don't ever see anyone else's list. You just oh, see okay. you, they tally up the votes, and then you see yes, what the, gotcha. what the yeah. final list comes out to. And so when you see the final list, you're like, oh, okay, someone there might have been some people that had Jack Eichel a little higher, or or Ryan yeah. Nugent Hopkins a little lower. So uh, or you, you or the goalie thing because i i think your assessment of goalies is interesting in that you know we have seen that goalies well we've always known goalies are a fickle thing but you know how much of a difference does a goalie make to your team can you get by with average goaltending if you've got really good defense and and good and good forwards we've seen you know the colorado avalanche make some big time runs here with you know less than decorated goaltending how much does goaltending ultimately matter when you build a team there's going to be a certain point where they get so good where yes it matters yeah but you might have nailed the number that maybe there's only four or five that truly make a big time difference to the team well and and you can look at vegas there's a great example of aiden hill just won the stanley cup he's a good goalie he's he's a good goalie you know, I, I think it was making $2 million last year. He's not anywhere near my top 50 list. I would have had Demko. No. I would have had Markstrom. I would have had Hellebuck. I don't have any of those guys in my top 50. But guess what? Mm. Aiden Hill's a Stanley Cup champion, and so is Jordan Bennington, and so is Darcy Kemper. And, and go, you know, go down the list. There's a lot of good goalies, not great superstar status goalies, that have had a lot of playoff success. Trophy and, winning goalies, yeah. And, and exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think four is an appropriate number because ultimately you do have to kind of respect the fact that a guy like Saros, this guy rolls up with a nine twenty, like like in his sleep. 
you know, and, and Sorokin's the same way the last couple of years. So we, we also, when we're putting the list together, respect that there's some uh, fantastic goalies in the league. Tanner Pearson for Casey DeSmith, the, the pick involved there as well. What did you make of the trade yesterday? Yeah, I mean, I really liked it from Montreal's point of view, actually. Um, I, I kind of think they needed a, a, like a just one more veteran for, I know it's a young team and you want young players to play on that team. I, I liked it from their point of view to bring in Tanner Pearson, really good like character guy who's been through a lot in the league. And I, I think he can add a lot to just the dynamic there with that young group um, in Montreal. And they had a lot of goalies to give up in Vancouver. Like if Thatcher Demko is going to carry the workload here and play 60 plus games, there's always going to be that injury risk. So who's your guy? Um, and I know Casey DeSmith struggled at times in Pittsburgh, but there's been times where he's played really well. And there's been times where he kind of kept up with Tristan Jari. Um, you know, maybe it's been fewer and further between, but I think Casey DeSmith is exactly what they they needed in the Canucks in a, in a backup goalie, someone that, you know, has some kind of track record there uh, of being a reliable backup in the past. Um, and it just prevents you from going to, you know, I think Spencer Martin is a, is a good three, right? So now you, you don't have to rely on Spencer Martin if Thatcher Demko is going down. And then, you know, if Spencer Martin goes down, Seelovs, like you go down the list. So it just it just slots the goaltenders in the organization much better. Um, and I, I saw this sentiment that on Twitter that, you know, the Canucks did right by Tanner Pearson by moving him to Montreal. I, I'm not willing to – I don't think – they put him in this situation because they messed up the surgery and all the medical assessments with, with his, with his hand. Um, but ultimately them moving on from Tanner Pearson puts him back in the NHL because it sounds like there, you know, there wasn't really going to be a spot for him on this team. So, um, you know, he, it, it was a little bit of a mess for Tanner Pearson. Now he moves on to Montreal and if he does well, they can maybe flip him for something at the deadline. You uh, played with the Smith in Pittsburgh for one year. Tell us about the guy you know and give us a little scouting report on his style. Yeah, listen, he's a, he's a fantastic guy. Um, we were together in Wilkes-Barre. We were together in Pittsburgh. Um, great guy, very focused on his craft, like um, very motivated. And, and, you know, like you can just see like when he's at the rink, there's a certain level of concentration and care um, that he puts into what he does. Um, I, I think as a goaltender, he's, he's not the biggest guy, but he moves pretty well. And I, I think that's always kind of been his MO, an athletic kind of agile goaltender. So um, I, I think he slotted perfectly. Like, I, I think he is a backup goalie in the NHL on any given night. Um, if, if, you know, Montreal just had such a surplus that, you know, we, he could have been in the American Hockey League. So um, good on Vancouver for recognizing that there was a, you know, a potential backup goaltender out there that they could have in their system. And um, listen, like, like all things, if your team plays strong defensively in front of you and they take care of the puck and um, it's not, you know, three on two after two on one after three on two every single night, uh, I'm sure they could give Casey DeSmith a chance to be a reliable goaltender for them. With that yeah. in mind, they uh, did not trade Tyler Myers away. Um, and that's after the bonus. So do you think this is a case of them, you know, rolling the dice that he can be a contributor to the team here and, and that this defense is, is, uh, is going to be the one they roll with and try to make the playoffs with? I think so. Yeah. And listen, you also have to remember like where this team wants to go. They want to make the playoffs, right? Really better off trying to trying to use them the right way in the lineup. And and when they made the decision that they weren't going to strip things down, I, I think unless you were going to bring in someone that helps you right now, 
in place of Tyler Myers, you're probably that you have. So, you know, mm-hmm. may, maybe it's a situation where Tockett looks at it and says, okay, I can maybe clip his ice time a little bit more, put him in, in better positions to succeed. They, they do have some bigger kind of bold kind of players now on, on that back end that can, um, you know, eat up some of that workload. But um, listen, every year is a new year, right? Like the, the momentum of, of whatever you kind of had going last year, that, that can stop. You know, with, you know, you have a good summer and you feel rejuvenated, you go into a new season. But, you know, if, if I'm looking at it from from Tockett's point of view specifically, and I'm a coach and I know like there's a mandate here that we need to try and make the playoffs. G- give me a veteran that I can kind of work with that I, you know, should have some kind of trust in um, over, you know, at this point, whether it's going to be a prospect or pick whatever you could recoup for Tyler Myers at least this way you know you have a veteran d-man and maybe you try and use them the right way last question you've been through a rick talkett training camp or at least a training camp with rick talkett tell us what you think these guys are in store for here this week yeah. in victoria yeah so i like i remember sullivan's training camp was very fair like there was a conditioning on ice that's that's crazy he goes you know it's part of the deal aspect to it but it was it was very fair it was calculated um it wasn't like you know i love greener but that that skate that Greener does is just cruel. And I've told him that. I said, that's all right. Like, there's going to be some skating involved. It's not going to be like Greener's. Um, the off-ice stuff that we did in Pittsburgh, and I don't know how much of that talk it takes with him, but the off-ice stuff we did in Pittsburgh was, um, you know, it just all stuff that can kind of apply to what you're doing on the ice. There was a bike test. There was a lot of jump tests. There was some strength tests. Nothing that makes you change the way you're training which I think is very important because ultimately you train to be a good hockey player. You train to have a good season. You don't train for fitness testing. That's when guys get in trouble. So from, from my time in Pittsburgh, from what I remember at training camp, there was nothing that ever made me change the way I was doing things and everything kind of made sense at training camp. So it should be a good one. Uh, it should be tough, but it should be very fair. It's go time, Frank. Absolutely. Marvelous stuff, Frank. Thanks for this. We'll catch up next week. Here's some price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us, 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. So an early E&O before E&Os uh, did not report results of yes, uh, sorry, uh, Monday's Bodog poll question on yesterday's right. show. Right. Are you more excited for this Canucks season than last year? Yes or no? What did the people say? Uh yes. They said yes. What percentage? Um 65. 73. Mm. Keegan, I'm excited at this time every year, then I get brought down to earth after ten games. Yeah, it's been a thing, Keegan. Jax said, I voted less. I don't think this team is as good on paper as last year's. That's interesting, Jack. I think many would disagree with that. And then there's Tyson. Honestly, hasn't even crossed my mind. Benning and Aqua killed my love, and I'm in limbo. It's NFL season. Mm, wow. Yeah, a lot of the comments were uh, no. People who voted yes just voted yes and went on their merry way. Yesterday on the Bodog poll question, we asked you, do you trust Rutherford and Alvin's cap management? 1,100-plus votes. Yes or no? What won the poll? Um, no won the poll. Yes, won the poll, oh. but barely. Blake, this thing was 50-50 about 700 votes in, 
And the final four or 500 votes brought it over to the yes side. Of course, some of that happened after the Pearson to Smith trade. Yes. Uh Brian says, reluctantly, I voted yes. I think there has been some mistakes along the way, the Dickinson trade, the McKayev signing, but they are moving along cautiously. Sam says, nope, they have no idea the value of cap space, just like the previous regime. And and that is a fair criticism, Sam. Second they get cap space, they spend it. It burns a hole in their pocket. Scridler says, not yet. They made some positive moves this summer, but the J.T. Miller contract was absolutely signed before it should have been. They need another offseason of smart moves to earn back trust. And Trevor says, Lawrence Gilman is the only Canucks executive that I have ever seen that truly understands cap management and has demonstrated an understanding and knowledge through their actions. Of course, Lawrence was doing bidding there, but yes, he mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. They were very good on the cap. And hey, last year they forged a opening night roster that was penny perfect in terms of um, maximizing their LTI space. And they're going to be really close again this year. Very, too. very close. All right. Arizona missions from yesterday's program. As mentioned, we forgot the poll results. We've gotten to that. Uh, Brittany's putting me on East and O's because, uh, well, she's putting all of us on E's and O's because I once again called Nikolai Goldobin your fifth child, and there was no pushback on that. You called him Nikita rather than Nikolai. Oh, did I? Yeah, that was, that was her issue with it. Oh. And that we didn't. and because there was no pushback. And I didn't correct you. I didn't hear oh, that. Oh, okay. I didn't hear that. Did I call him Nikita? That's what God, she says. it's been that long. And then Yerky says, when we were discussing your power line par, or bogey, whatever it was on 18 at right. Inkemib, that I said asterix as an asterix and obelix. <laughs> yes. I don't think we can talk about them anymore. I think they've been canceled. Oh, have they? Yeah, they've been canceled. Oh, what happened? Well, there's just if you go look at the drawings and stuff, it's oh not appropriate. Oh, okay. Yeah. From a different era? Yes, from a different era. Gotcha. Yeah. Time for Blake's Bodog line of the day. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. So you like what you got. Uh, how about the uh, new tennis darlings for, well, Darlene, I suppose. Uh, Gabby Dabrowski coming off the big win. Um, Grand Slam victory of the U.S. Open. Uh, her and partner Aaron Rootleaf, the overwhelming favorites tomorrow in doubles at minus 240. But that I mean, it's should they could do it in their sleep, you'd think. So uh, take the tax, minus 240 on the Canadian. On your Bodog line of the day, thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us and Rinkwide wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on social. That's Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.